Welcome back to Simon and White, Never Woke Podcast at the crossroads of business, media, and politics. I'm Christian White, and joined as always by Mark Simon, who's in Taipei today. Mark, please say hello. Hi, everybody. Love the background, huh? <laughs> it's it's plain and simple. Very businesslike. Very Taiwan style. Um, all right. Well, uh, a lot going on in the business of politics and media and whatnot. Mark, what do you want to talk about first today? You know, I got to talk about I got to talk about Twitter because it, it's it's everything that essentially I think is is can be right with the American capitalist capitalist system, and it highlights a lot of the wrong. And I and first of all, I just think you know the there's the con the condescending conversation that you hear about Elon Musk on CNBC from all these arrogant tech journalists and arrogant tech people. It's almost like, how dare you come into our sandbox, you big bully? You know, that's the entire, entire take. How dare you come in here? Look, it's a company. It's got a $40, $50 billion market cap. Elon Musk could own it, it'd be, it'd be there. He sees opportunity. I do not believe that Elon Musk is sitting here playing with Twitter, okay, just because it is something to do and something to have fun with. That shows you how important they think themselves that they are. That shows you, that attitude shows you how important, oh, that he would be on our platform, playing with the platform for elites where we get out and we get known. Ridiculous. Look, Musk sees some value there. It's an undervalued platform. It's interacted with. People go, well, you know, TikTok has a lot of this and that. TikTok is a global platform that does a different thing. But for people who come to, to come to have a conversation, Twitter is it. I actually believe that Twitter is somehow positioning itself naturally. Nobody at Twitter is doing it. It's just kind of falling into the place as really the global news exchange. That's where we're going to have the global news exchange. The problem is the editors are morons and must <laughs> needs to move them out. That's the problem. The people who run the Twitter thing are not bright people. I've dealt with these people in my business. They're not particularly bright people. They're basically, a lot of them used to be journalists. A lot of them, this is the best job they've ever had in their lives. And also they bring their politics with them. And that's the problem. Nobody understands it. The idea that you would ban a former a former president or a sitting president from a social media platform, that you would have the arrogance to do that because you've determined through non-judicial review that he is a danger. All right, if he's convicted and he's in jail, then let's have a rule no convicts on, on Twitter, but all no convicts on Twitter. But the idea that they do this is ridiculous. So the, so the financial thing here with me is, I think Musk is looking at this thing and he's saying there's a lot more things that we can do. He's already had two really good ideas, not the edit button, by the way. The first idea is basically have people pay for the blue check, which means you're going to have people pay for this thing and have to be identified. And then the other part of Twitter will be the insane part of Twitter, you know, where it's like bomb to the bomb to the bomb to the three, three, five, seven, bomb to the you know, who nobody knows who this person is, you know, and they're always making snarky comments to you, you know, why? Why, why? that person's of no value to anybody, you know? Right. 
and 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 people say, well, you know, they're advertising this and they're advertising that. I mean, let's be honest with you. Twitter's got a revenue stream. It's got money, and it's it's undervalued at fifty billion, forty five, fifty billion dollars. It's probably an undervalued company in my mind by two or three times because I think it's got the potential to last and to stay. And people say, well, young people, it's not true. Young people actually migrate onto Twitter because young people who want to be politically active and do things, they can show up and do it. So I think with Musk, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into his goals here. I think the guy sees an economic opportunity. It probably drove him crazy that, you know, what was happening with it. Um, if he wanted to come on and just make small changes, he would have stayed on the board. They tried to trap him on the board. I think that's very obvious there. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, I think, you know, the offer of the sheet on the board is let's get him on the board. I think Musk had to basically had to say that's it. And then they're the ones quite brightly, they're the ones who disqualified him. If you read the message, the tweet from yeah. the, the, the message from the president of the company, the CEO, he said, we had this problem, this problem, this problem. In other words, what we tried to do is put strictures on him, you know what I'm saying? And he wouldn't abide by them. So what's Musk gonna say? He said, you know, I'm not coming on your board. My expectation is by the next SEC reporting period, Elon Musk will probably be up around, I don't know, 15, 16%. And then he'll probably be making allies in the company. And I think he'll be looking for some new board members. Look, the most conservative guy they have on the board is Bob Zolik. Oh, God. And, and, and He's Zolik terrible. Is this and is Zolik the guy is who actually yeah, yeah. who actually went. I mean, everyone, everyone knows what a panda hugger is. It's the proverbial person who's too partial to the CCP. Bob Zolik actually went to... <laughs> went to China as deputy secretary of state the first time as the State Department and had his picture taken hugging a panda. The panda looked very concerned, as I would be, because Bob Zellick is a Martian. He was dressed in something that looks like kind of an elementary school teacher serving food, you know, with the weird plastic gloves that don't fit. A, and, look, Zellick's a weird guy. guy. I heard the story <laughs> that when Zellick got when Zellick got sworn into, I think, the head of AID, when he got no family members were there. Like, you know, hmm. the youth, nobody showed up. Nobody Maybe showed USTR? Up. Maybe uh, it was USTR. Yeah. It was one of those. That nobody showed up. And and people are like, you know, he's, I mean, I thought he was still married or whatever it was. He had somebody, usually your brother or somebody would show up for you, yeah. the president to swear you in, and nobody showed up. And President Bush was like, well, that's kind of weird. You know, I heard from somebody who was there, like, it's kind of sad, actually, you know, that you don't have anybody. But that's Zelik. Zelik's an asshole. I, I dealt with him one time, and he was so freaking condescending. I was like, you know something? You're the worst person. All I all I imagine when I talk to Zelik, I like you know how some people say picture somebody naked. I always picture somebody, <laughs> okay. I, I always picture somebody in Colonel Clink's uniform. And then <laughs> and then what happens is when I put him in I put him in Colonel Clink's uniform from Hogan Heroes, I look at him and I picture him in there. And then I either laugh or I get, all right, this guy's a scary guy. Zelik actually made me laugh and cry a little bit because he's just pathetic. He's one of these guys, Goldman Sachs, back in government. And it's like, what's your accomplishment in life? I don't, I don't know what his accomplishment is. But anyway, we digress on the Bob Zellick. But he's the most conservative guy they have. He's a social liberal. There's no voice whatsoever. I mean, yep. the fact is, is like everybody's waiting for Musk. My understanding, and I heard this through the grapevine from somebody who works at the Babylon Bee, who, who started to become a friend. The one thing I have heard was 
is that uh, basically Babylon B is holding out because they're, they're going to let pressure. They're not saying anything, but it looks like their pressure is going to build on Musk and build on these guys to reinstate these guys. And I think I think I I'd be honest with you. I think basically women with purple hair and you know everybody else who's running around Twitter is having a heart attack. You know because Elon's right. like, hey, you know he's an engineer. I mean he's a this is a guy who puts people in space. We have to remember something about a guy like Musk. Musk builds cars. Cars kill people. You got to do things right. In other words, whenever he has meetings and whenever they're designing a car, whenever they're going out there, they always have to factor in that they're going to run over little Sally and her sister in a, in a on a twin bicycle. You know what I'm saying? You got to. That's part of business. That's part of the business he's in. When when you watch, there's a great documentary, by the way, fantastic documentary. Um, that just came out on Netflix on them sending men into space the first time, people into space. Hey, you're putting somebody on top of a firecracker with a thing on top. That blows up. You've killed people. You know, and you can see somebody asking me the thing, hey, what are you, what are you, what are you going to do? You tell those kids their dad's coming back? You know, because we've seen now space flight kills people. You can die in space yeah. And so he's a serious man. And that, that's my point. I've always noticed that. It's the problem with so many people in our world today. They don't deal with serious issues. You know, like when you were dealing with human rights in North Korea, you were dealing with human rights. The fact of the matter is you would sometimes on the way out on the plane out, you know, I'm flying back to the U.S. And these people I'm talking about and I was trying to push on and everybody else, I know that they're still sitting in a cell tonight and they're probably going to take a beating tomorrow, you know. And so there becomes a seriousness in someone's life. It doesn't become an abstract thing. And that's what the Twitter people are about to about to in, in understand in management. They're about to meet somebody serious, and all the other tech people are not serious people. They're just not serious people. I don't. I mean, I ran shipping companies. I've run big construction companies. I've had multiple people killed in my companies. You know what I'm saying? I'm not not because we've done anything wrong. You know, um, I stood I stood in uh, in Niagara on the lake one night because a little girl rode her bike into one of our trolleys. She was the daughter of one of our chefs and Jimmy was standing right beside me. We just happened to be there, you know, and the, the trolley driver did nothing wrong. The girl just had her headphones on, never let kids ride bikes with headphones. You know, um, you know, the kid, the girls, kids had headphones on and they rode right in front of that, you know, and um, and, and that's the type of business. I had guys killed in shipping. You know what I'm saying? I lost guys overboard. I've had people killed in construction accidents, multiple people hurt. It changes your management perspective. It changes you the way you are, you know, and I think Twitter's about to run into that. And I, what do you I, make of, what do you make of Musk? Uh, he tweeted basically uh, an observation that's, you know, you, you look at a company, you look at advertising revenue and the potential for non-advertising revenue, which is his thing, but just pointing out that a lot of the biggest uh, people on Twitter measured by the number of followers, uh, mm -hmm. President Obama, former President Obama, but uh, more importantly, Justin Bieber, Katy Perry, like number two and three. Trump would be on the list if they hadn't censored him. I, I love it. I'm going to do a dig digression here. I love it when they say they are permanently suspending someone. What does that mean? Do you know of anyone who is permanently suspended from high school or do you know people who are expelled? 
Well, I know, I know <laughs> it's like, compared, you know, people who are censored, uh, yeah. just the Orwellian lying. But anyway, uh, Musk pointed out that uh, these users, you know, Bieber hadn't posted in a long time and Katy Perry had only posted a few times this year, or maybe have it the other way around, that, um, you know, maybe this will be the, the nexus of, of sort of media gossip and, um, you know, reporting ahead of the story, but it's dying as, as sort of an entertainment hub. Do you, do you buy that or do you think they can bounce back? I think for these people, the problem they have with Twitter is, you know, I do agree with people who say Twitter can be the garbage heap of, you know, because it's, it's, you don't have to be known. I think almost every other, you know, Facebook, Instagram, you got to be a person. They got to know who you are. But, you know, Twitter can be a garbage heap. I don't know why Bieber would be on Twitter. But see, here's my whole thing. I would say Twitter is the place where people need to come to make announcements for the world to hear. You know, you, can, you can't do it on Instagram. But I'll, I'll give you an example. There's that horrible little girl, Eileen Gu, the American who competes for China and who was playing the piano for Xi Jinping the other night. She's a horrible person. Her mother, they're horrible people. They really are just awful people. Yeah. And, um, you know, and she's just hot. She's good looking. She's beautiful. And, you know, and so and then she can she comes back. She just sent a tweet out that said our um, Instagram out. But she works on Instagram because there's no feedback, because when she went on Twitter or if she went on Twitter, oh. it would be like it would be a brand destroyer. So I, I myself think you have to be very careful on Twitter. I think anytime you go up on Twitter, I've helped a few people who are fairly substantial. And I've told them both times to stay off Twitter. Mm -hmm. I quit after they censored Trump. I, I had already taken breaks before that. It's you know, just, I, it's useful in some respects, but on the other side, I mean, it's just time consuming. You don't learn anything. It pisses you off. I'm convinced that in some situations, aside from, you know, quitting smoking, if you smoke cigarettes, that getting off Twitter can be the healthiest thing you can do. But, you know, there are, there are, it's also great to see people go in and confess their profound ignorance and bigotry, which uh, progressives and others do every single oh, day. There. Well, look, I got to tell you, my whole thing with Twitter is, is that I got off of it. And, you know, because of the world I'm in over here in Taiwan and with Mr. Lai and with, you know, the former Apple Daily, every time I'm off Twitter, the conspiracy theories on me build. And so <laughs> I quit. I quit. I quit when I had the Hunter Biden blow up thing. You know what I'm saying? Because I said, I'm out of here. I had 13,000 followers. And I said, you know, that's it. I'm gone. And because uh, it was just and I, I didn't like it. And it was really relaxing. It was like, you know, you're right. It's like five, six months. But then what happened is people started writing stuff about me in the Chinese press, like what's Mark Simon doing? And what I found was when I'm on Twitter, that bullshit stops because people feed it to me. And then I go back to that person and I shut. I'm, I'm, I know it, I don't mean to be egotistical here, but like what we call the tankies, the Chinese communists, like there'd be an article about Jimmy doing something like, for example, some some group gives Jimmy an award. And then this person would tweet, this is Mark Simon organizing everything, you know, and I'm like, Mark Simon is not have nothing to do with this. I'm not working on this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Jimmy Lai has more damn friends than you can shake a stick at. I mean, it's one of the things, look, he's in his mid seventies. He knows a lot of people, but my point is I found that Twitter was a good place for me to go to basically counter some things. 
And I really limit myself to China and Taiwan now. I don't really get that involved in U.S. politics because it's garbage, you know. And also, I've now got, I think I got 1,500 followers, but I blocked 700. And when you block <laughs> people, when you block people, you don't get recommended. I also get downvoted oh. every single day. I got downvoted so many times, you know, and complaints, so many complaints against me that Twitter informed me of it because it's the tankies. Interesting. You know, the, 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 the pro-China guys. But I, I, I get just I, we spent a lot of time on Twitter. But I mean, look, is Twitter a buy yet? I wouldn't buy it. I would I would hold off. But is Elon Musk getting there into once Musk? If somebody tells me that Musk has, you know, 25, 30 percent or if another group comes in and you combine Musk and that group together, you know, and there are people buying it in. There are some funds buying it now. If Musk, if Musk gets 30% of that company, control of 30% of that company, and say of that, you know, he controls 20% with shares, that's more, that's more than Jeff Bezos has of, uh, of, uh, uh, of Amazon. That's more than Bill Gates has of Microsoft. That's enough. That's enough yeah. to get a slate. That's enough to get his people on the board. You know, you know I was, it, was, it wasn't someone at Twitter. It was someone at Google. I just... It said, you know, in one of their the times where Congress briefly addressed the censorship issue, and of course the Democrats up there all want more censorship. The name of safety, uh, the same, you know, the same cause that we have kids pointlessly wearing face masks still in some schools. Anyway, um, you know, it's uh, just saying you should all if your network be a network. See this this phone. When I call someone on the phone, that's a network. I can say whatever I want. You know, if I'm plotting the overthrow of the U.S. government, someone intercepts it, I might be in trouble. But, you know, you can say whatever you want. You're not going to be censored on the phone pretty much. Um, and that's what Twitter should do. And that's what YouTube and that's what everyone they should say. What is prohibited is illegal speech. And otherwise, we're not going to be babysitting it. Now, they can create technology. So they, it would be great if they had like a little button where I could say, you know, I'm a snowflake. I'm some pink haired girl who works in marketing at, you know, some startup in the valley. And I, it'll just blow my mind. It'll be a very triggering uh, episode if I see something bad. So I'm going to click this button and it's going to censor all conservative thought. Okay, uh, at least I'm making that choice to censor someone else, and it's only at the individual level. Um, anyway, the idea that that they would be a network like the phone company it just it blows their mind. It's like going to Singapore and saying, "Well, you guys got to stop doing business in, on the mainland." It just you know does not compute. It's like you're binary. You're seeing ones and zeros, and all of a sudden a two comes along. It just they don't get that. I I, I have to say I I dealt with censors. Like, I'm not a believer that private companies can censor. In other words, um, if, if Twitter doesn't want to have Donald Trump on their platform, that's a private company. They can do what they want. However, it's a dumb decision. And it's mm -hmm. a decision that's not based on business. It's a decision based on go woke, go broke. In other words, you took off a major person on that thing. And I think they would have been much smarter, to be honest with you, to have public fights with Donald Trump. That's what I would have done. When Trump went crazy... <laughs> I delete your tweets. You can't delete my tweets. Say no. And then, you know, wh wh why do you, my God, what's the number one rule in public relations? The number one rule in the tension getting punch up for God's sakes, punch up. When Jack Dorsey and those guys kicked Donald Trump off, that was the classic move. of totalitarian censor. And that's their mentality. 
make it go away, make it go away. China's no different, Myanmar is no different. See the same thing in the Philippines with my friend Risa, I mean, you know, um, with uh, 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 the Rappler, the magazine. They just want to make it go away. And the thing is, is like, they're not big kids. They don't, they, they, they really do have a different view of things. But anyway, we could talk about Twitter all day, but I've Well, yeah, let's, let's segue yeah. from Twitter to the rest of tech. And the rest of tech isn't doing well uh, market-wise. And this has been sort of a long time coming. Uh, yeah. I've been short the market on a net basis for, for a while. Um, you know, you just have real inflation, uh, big time inflation across the board, persistent, not transient. And this is on the heels, uh, somewhat predictably, of the biggest monetary expansion in U.S. history, um, an expansion that makes the financial crisis of 08 and 09 quantitative easing one, QE2, all of that, that dollar printing that Bernanke did through the 2010s, that didn't turn up in inflation because the velocity of money slowed down. Basically, we printed a lot of dollars, but we gave them to the banks and the banks held them. The banks were being subject to stress tests and uh, were being demonized and are essentially a lot of uh, quasi-governmental zombie organizations anyway. It's different this time. Anyway, so you have interest rates going up a tiny bit, not nearly enough to get a handle on inflation, but you have an end to the mass expansion of the um uh, money stock of M2, however you want to measure it. and uh, But even that's pretty minor. The Fed's talking about, well, stopping the mass purchases of government bonds and mortgages and maybe letting 50 to 90 billion runoff um, per month, per quarter. I forget the exact number. Again, nothing here that looks like they're going to get a hold of, inf of inflation truly. So, you know, what's, what's ahead? Uh, is it stagflation? Is it the worst of all worlds where the Fed does tighten, but too little too late? So it doesn't actually arrest the problem, but it does do the things that tightening is expected to do, which is to halt the economy, to slow down growth, maybe cause a recession. Anyway, it seems like the free money is going away. You see this already in, in mortgage rates popping above 5%. And uh, um, other debt following more slowly. I don't think the markets have truly appreciated this. And there's this expectation, I think, that the Fed is going to reverse course. As soon as if the market tanks or if they see a recession coming, um, then uh, the Fed chairman is going to say, OK, we're going to stop the tightening. We're just going to tread water. We'll keep interest rates where they are. We'll keep the money supply where it is. I don't I think that's necessarily true. Jerome Powell's in his second and final term. He was somewhat hawkish on the threat of inflation during the Trump administration. In fact, he raised rates and brought um, inflation, brought growth down in, into the 2% range from 3% where Trump and everyone wanted it. Uh, long story short is, it seems like tech is down, but it's not just okay, that's a correction by the dip, at least in my estimation. It looks like we're in for a prolonged bear situation, um, not just because of spook markets, but also maybe because you know we've gone through the cycle where everyone acquired a huge amount of tax, hardware, software, changed their businesses, uh, driven by the woo flu. Uh, but what do you think? Am I being too bearish on, on tech overall? Uh, no. Um I was very fortunate that I was persecuted by the Communist Party and I had to move money from my accounts because they were coming to get it in Singapore. I was worried about them getting it in Singapore. So I had to move the money from Singapore to the US. And in doing that, I'm out of the market because I haven't set up an account. So I'm still out of the market other than a, my TD Waterhouse account, 
and Rio Tinto, everybody should have got it. It's doing really well. You know, I have some. Look, I still have. I, have I was some. thinking of selling. It's done so well, but it's still pretty low valuation. I think it's like yeah, ten I mean, price and, earnings and, and, and pays ten percent. And and here's here's my point. I'm not saying the tech sector is like NFTs, but here's my point. I I I don't see the value. I mean, somebody talked the other night about Microsoft going down, and Microsoft's been very very good to me. You know, it's been a real, it's been a very good thing. Good meeting. It's, it's very good. And, you know, but people are saying you don't have a growing population. You have different people using different things now. Is Microsoft the way of the future? I'm not so certain. You know what I'm saying? Um, it'll still be a good dividend. I think that's how they're going to make it up. Everyone's going to get a big dividend. You know what I'm saying? Because they got plenty of cash. But I really wonder, and I, I really wonder if you're just going to have to reevaluate tech. I was a huge SaaS guy, you know, services software. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to look at that and saying, well, maybe that's not really going to work out. And with the, you know, with something with the, you know, a 300 value, P and E valuation, you know, or no, no P and E not making money still. So I'm gone from that for now. But if somebody says, where are you going to put money? I think there's really a few places to put money. I think first of all, um, I think it's not the worst idea in the world to keep a little bit of cash in your pocket in case you see some things go down. I think it's completely reasonable right now. I think there's a nice buying opportunity for oil stocks right now while China's messed up. China's going to come back. They're going to they're going to come out of this. COVID's going to end and you know it's going to start the economy's as the economy picks up. Fact of the matter is, is we definitely screwed up our oil policy in the U.S. and, and Russia is going to still be a bit of a mess. So I think some of the oil stocks, some of the oil service company stocks could be a good spot to be. Um, I think the other places that you really might look at is just some of the traditional um, companies that you may not look at in the past, whether that be utility companies, whether that be, you know, any domestics, any domestic manufacturing companies such as Caterpillar such as some of these other people, watch the dip. You don't have to buy them right now, but it is gonna come back. This demand, as it starts to come back, now you're just gonna be there. I would I would say you could probably just sit around for now. And now yes. my most brain dead thing, but I still like it, is I think everybody needs to get a little bit of physical gold. And I, I just don't, I mean, get a safety deposit. Why do people think that's a bad thing? Oh, you know, everything's <laughs> in my digital wallet. Well, what if the power... It's illegal that? during the Carter administration, right? But, I saw uh... a fantastic <laughs> thing. There's this guy fighting in Ukraine, you know, and he's, he's an American and he's all over the place. And like, you know, and so he raises money and he finally put it. He said, would all you crypto assholes stop contacting me? I can't use crypto <laughs> in Ukraine. Get it? Doesn't work. Doesn't help. Stop sending it. Because you got all these guys going, oh, I know you should have crypto. I, you should use crypto when you're in the battlefield. You're buying stuff. He's in the middle of the battlefield. He needs U.S. dollars. He's asking some Ukrainian farmer, you know, he can you can you imagine going up to a Ukrainian farmer and say, I need to borrow your tractor so I can drag away a, a Russian tank? The guy goes, what are you going to pay me for? Well, since you're trying to be a decent guy and not just hold take his tractor at gunpoint, you know, what are you going to do? Well, here's a nice NFT, you know, or here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's, a, here's a Bitcoin for you. You know what I'm saying? The guy wants cash. He wants gold. He wants something. I, I just, I think we're, I, I think the thing is, is that 
you know, I'm sure crypto will go nuts. I'm, I don't talk about that because I don't know shit about it. Um, I just don't trust it. Um, but I think people are going to have to get some physical stuff. I think you're going to want to keep some money in the bank. And I say this and people look at you and laugh, but Kristen, you'd be surprised at how many people I bump into. And it just happened about a month and a half ago. Guy was sitting there. He came in. He wanted to talk to me about, you know, investments. And I said, how much cash do you have in the bank? And he said, oh, I got about 15000 I go, what? I go, you got $15,000? I said, you got a $2 million home. You've got, you know, you got two million. He goes, well, I keep myself fully invested. And I said, <laughs> You know, your financial position is not based on just, you know, what he goes, he, 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 oh, I, I don't like sitting in the bank because I get almost no, I get almost no things. A guy like that, you know, who probably makes $400,000 a year, he should have $50,000 in the bank just sitting there, just sitting yeah. there. Yeah. And people are like, oh, well, why would you do that? It's a waste. No, it's not. It's called security. It's called if you lose your job, you can pay your mortgage for four months without having to start sell stocks and having to panic. It's, you know, it's in the mindset. And if you're, if you, if you're basically not there, then, you know, I don't care, go, go get gold or, you know, but you should have just cash. I think people don't keep enough cash around. And I think you should keep cash in your bank for buying opportunities from things like that. But I, I think the other thing too is, is that as interest rates climb, we're at 5% for mortgage rates right now, car loans are actually, going like this too. I think people need to look into their portfolios and look into their lives and say, where am I, where am I losing money? Right. You know, where am I spending a lot of money? If you're paying 7% on a car, maybe just pay that car off. That's your investment. Yeah. The flip side being, you know, I graduated from grad school, got an MBA from UCLA in 2002. <laughs> so 20 years, I guess my reunion's coming up. I don't have anything to do with the school. There are a bunch of commies, but uh, I still have a student loan, but guess wow. what? It's fixed. It's fixed at 1.75%. I could pay it off tomorrow, why but why would I do that? It's uh, And with inflation coming, uh, what's left of the very little amount of principal that's left is going to be devalued. So uh, at many times, I'm like, you know, I should probably just do it. It probably looks weird. Uh, I don't think I'll ever go back into government, but you have to fill out these forms and declare your liabilities. And it's probably a little bit embarrassing being a, uh, a, a you know, a guy in his late 40s with a student loan. But again, if I believe in sort of, uh, you know, financial reality and math, then uh, at a point in time where the cost of capital, uh, for me at least, certainly is more than 1.75%. And the return I can earn, uh, and I expect to earn by partially shorting the market this year, is certainly more than that. So I, I keep it. But you're right. If I if I had anything variable, I'd be worried about it. That's fixed. Fixed at a very low rate. But anything variable with rates going up and anything high, certainly, as you point out, uh, with um, with car financing going a little nuts this year, uh, it shouldn't be, I, I, it shouldn't be I, that I, high for I a secured think, asset, I, I but think, it is. You know, look, you pay it one way or the other. You use your money one way or the other. And that that's, you know, unfortunately, that mindset that I'm saying, that's like Susie Orman mindset where you do this. People don't think that way. You know, in other words, they're putting money away. They're investing it and things like that. You know, I used to take a loan out every year because it was taxes and I could take a loan out in, in, in Hong Kong for uh, you could take out a tax loan in Hong Kong. And you had mm -hmm. to pay it back at the end of the year. It was take a ferry to Macau, put it all on a single hand to twenty one, like the guy who saved FedEx, right? Pretty much. <laughs> we we you I would I would I would take out 
I think it was about 70,000 US dollars as was the max. I would take out a $70,000 loan. I would sit there, I would wait for HSBC to basically be cheap or some set of stocks to be cheap. I would buy it and then in my mind, the moment I made my, you know, 20,000, the moment I made my 15%, I would sell it and then I would pay the loan off. And <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna swear to this, I, I know it's hard to believe, I never lost money once in the Hong Kong market. And that's oh. largely because I followed one guy, David Webb. He, gave, he would tell me the stock to pick or the two couple of stocks to pick. He, I would read his thing, you know what I'm saying? And Webb is, Webb is that good. And he would, he would tell you, you know, like, and it, it, would, it would like, I mean, I'll give you an example. You could buy, you could buy a, a China Light and Power or Hong Kong Electric. And my, my interest rate was like one and a half percent. Well, they're, they pay a dividend every year of 4%. So it's like, <laughs> Yeah, as long as it doesn't go yeah. down, that's pretty and good. So yeah. The only thing is, I remember one time I tried to, I was like desperately arguing at HSBC for more money. So everybody's upset that HSBC does evil things to the, uh, to the dissonance, which they do, and they're not good guys for it. My big problem with HSBC is I could never get a loan big enough to speculate. <laughs> <laughs> That, that hey, be, being in, in shipping in your past, did you ever invest in any of Stanley Ho's things, Hutchison or uh, Hutchison Wapala, any of those companies? Uh, well, yeah, Lee Kai Shing. I got to tell you, the guy, Lee Kai Shing. Oh, actually, that's right. I'm sorry. Stanley Ho was the gambling guy. Lee Kai Shing was, was the, the shipping guy. guy. Yeah. Um, okay. I invested in some of Stanley Ho's tables when I played blackjack over there a couple of times. <laughs> that, that did not work out as well. Um, but but uh, Lee Kai Shing, as is, is, is we call you know, his name has got two names there in Hong Kong. They call him Cash, as in make it rain, and <laughs> Superman. And he has two floors of people who, in, in, in Chung Kong Center, which is the name of his company. Um, actually, I have invested in his companies twice and done very, very well because Hutchinson Wempo with the, with the terminals and shipping terminals is a cash cow. And that's what he dividends himself with. So, you know, and dividends in Hong Kong, not for me, I'm an American, but dividends in Hong Kong are tax-free, which is uh, a lesson for America. So yes. that's the people buy it. And it's almost like, you know, he gets together with his buddies and they say, we want our 3% dividend. We want our 4% dividend. A good friend of mine used to cover them for Citibank. And he said, you know, it's, it's a rock solid company, you know, also, by the way, He's actually a pretty decent guy. I mean, it's one of the things like, you know, a lot of tycoons are creeps. I don't know what it is with all leftists. They hate, they hate, all. they hate, all, it's almost like they look out the window and say, rich man, bad. And I'm going like, you know, the old, the old line, poor guy never gave me a job before. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you <laughs> know, right. and, and I, I'm, I'm putting my kids through college thanks to a rich guy. You know, so I mean, <laughs> well, you said before about moving money out of Singapore and Singapore's defense um, you were just being sort of extra cautious, right? There wasn't oh, a, I, I an implication that Singapore is going to do the bidding of the Chinese government, but yeah, this I think is the, the risk. The, pro the problem you have is, is that they tie you up. The Singaporeans are never going to send the money back. In fact, the Singaporeans want, and I, I, and I know a number of people who are concerned about this, but I myself was personally concerned about it because I'm going, look, I don't have that much money. You know what I'm saying? It's just sitting in my personal account. And um, I'm just going to get it out of there. You know what I'm saying? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I just did it and it, it's back. And, it's, it, you know, it's 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 nothing mind shattering or things like that. Um, 
But you have to remember in 2018, when the extradition treaty came up, there were a bunch of articles and Reuters had some really good articles on that. Reuters did a very good job. Bloomberg did a good job too. And basically everybody left, people were just leaving Hong Kong. I mean, basically because, all right, if, if you're going to, you know, basically have this transnational, I, the last place in the world right now, because of national security law, I would use a custodial base would be Hong Kong. Oh God. Yeah. I, I would know. be so, The Singaporeans put in the mattress. The Singaporeans are actually pretty solid. I mean, that's a great place. I, I mean, I would do business there, but I have, like I said, I have unique legal problems. And the issue is, is not that I'm ever worried about Singapore and taking my money, but I don't want to have a nine month or, a, you know, I don't want to have a $200,000 on paying like, you know, big law firms, you know, I'm, in other words, I don't have any yeah, money sure. left after I'm done with them. So right, right. there's an old saying, a good run is better than a good stand sometimes, <laughs> you know, in other words, you know, <laughs> you can win, you can win the battle and lose, you know, lose the money and I'm not willing to do either. So I just was like... Out and that, that was the advice actually the lawyer. But I have to tell you, I, I think that uh um I think getting back to it, I think people need to be liquid now. I think they need to be cash. Um I'm not saying you need to become a prepper in your basement. Um I get I have a brother who constantly sends me things saying buy more ammunition. Um maybe you do, I don't know. You know <laughs> that can saying? also be a currency if society collapses. You know, actually, it's actually I have experienced it as a currency before, and I experienced ammunition as a currency in the southern Philippines when I was in shipping and we were dealing with the big pineapple guys. And I fully admit, openly admit that the Catholic Church down there in the early 90s was having a problem. And uh, essentially, we had the ability on our ship. It's called Captain's Quarters. And so um, I let a, an odd sound say, because I, well, we went all over Nevada and bought a bunch of shotguns and brought the shotguns back and the shotguns went down to the Philippines. You know, we, we, we stopped them in Manila, we captain's, you know, the captain's chest and uh, which is can be a by the way, a captain's chest can be a car. I know that because I've had captains try that, you know, so, <laughs> but, which is not, but it's not supposed to. But my point is, is like they couldn't purchase in the Philippines. You the, the private security companies couldn't purchase guns from overseas. But if you per, if you gave them the if if you did this and did the transfer magically they would fill up your ship with fuel, you know, at a plus, <laughs> plus rate. So it's, it is, it was barter. It was, I, I, I've seen it a couple of times and I knew that's because people wondered how it was done and they just worked it out because these, you know, you're, you, they have this ridiculous rule in the Philippines that, you know, you're not supposed to be able to buy outside weapons. You know what I'm saying? Um, when, when, and you just have to buy, but you can perfectly buy their cheap locally made manufactured ones, you know, and, and, it was just one of these things. And I, I always told somebody it's uh, uh, the story is that basically Dole Pineapple helped protect the Catholic churches down in Mindanao, you know, hmm. their security guys helped do it. You know, I'm starting to tell stories now. I figure I look around, a lot of guys are dead. So babe, A, nobody can call you a liar. And B, <laughs> the dead man don't tell, don't correct 
It's not that dead men don't tell lies. It's that dead men don't correct lies. <laughs> you don't forget that. Right. But, but the thing is, is that it, it, it is along these it is along these lines that we have to we have to look that different currencies are going to matter. And it's the reason why I really encourage people. Make sure you have some cash in the bank. Don't be cash poor at all. It's not, yeah. It's hard to jump in. As long as we're on the topic, though, uh, we weren't planning to talk about the Philippines. And, you know, the Philippines will always have a bright future. Uh, it's just the present that's tricky. Uh, you've done a lot of business there. I've only been there once. I wanted to go several other times, and trips got interrupted by things like 9-11. But, um, uh, you know, this is, this is something that's a special part of Southeast Asia. It was actually an American colony. Most Americans don't know that from the Spanish-American War, 1898 or 9, uh, up until the Japanese kicked us out in 41. Then they were a colony again, I guess, briefly from when we kicked the Japanese out in 44 until they got independence in 46. Um, you know, at the end of the war, if you thought one place would do better than the rest of Southeast Asia and the Pacific, you'd think it's the Philippines. It was part of America. It was always going to have a good relationship, abundant natural resources, great ports, centrally located. Uh, and it's been kind of a basket case politically. You're married to a Filipino woman. Um, yeah. They have an election coming up. Duterte, the eccentric who will be departing, um, might be succeeded by, is it Bang Bang? I forget his name, but bong it's bong. it's the son of the dictator Marcus, yeah, I know right? Bang Bang. Bang Bang. Bang Bang. I should say I know him. I met him a number of times. Uh -huh. uh, any chance that anything improves in the Philippines and, and not just corruption, but also they've been, you know, playing smoochy smoochy with China an awful lot in I, recent I, years. So is that going to get worse? Um. Whether it was the Obama administration or whether it was the Bush administration, really, God, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Since the time of Clinton, we have not paid attention to the Philippines. Um, uh, after they kicked us out of the bases, which, quite frankly, was um, not the worst thing in the world in terms of the development, because you just people don't really understand that would have always if, if we'd had a jeep there, they would have blamed that. You know what I'm saying? The left would have blamed that. <laughs> right. The problems. Um, but the United States has ignored the Philippines geographically. The United Philippines is right next to China. It's got what China needs, which is basically natural resources and manpower. In other words, Chinese companies who are running out of manpower can come to the Philippines and work out. And the Chinese like the Philippines in terms of living there and things like that. Nice climate, easy life, tax authorities who can be easily bribed. You know what I'm saying? It's got all the things that you'd want for, for overseas Chinese expats from China. Um, and so we have not been taking care of it. We, we have essentially not had the relationship that we've had. That said, uh, the Philippines remains staunchly pro-American among the people. It's basically a culture where LeBron and everybody else is huge. They're not interested in soccer. They're, they're, they just finished they're just finished their basically little league baseball series. I follow that. Um, you know, 400 teams or something like that. So they're staunchly it's a staunchly American place. But we've neglected it. The Chinese are moving in. They're spending money. Um, we spend, and I hope people don't get this wrong, we spend way too much time in the Philippines doing cultural exchanges, uh, doing silly things, and then we expect to be able to come in there once every eight months and do a big exercise with their military and then go away and then not come back again. The Philippines has to be reintegrated into the U.S., into the U.S. system. 
And part of that is we basically, you know, Aquino was very popular before this. We got, they got rid of Estrada. Ramos was actually pretty good. Macapagal was the mistake. That's where we made the huge mistake because Gloria's husband and they, there was a lot of corruption. So we were friendly with them, but we did never pushed it. We should have pushed it then. Stop the corruption, stop this, stop all these things. Because there were alternatives to her there. In other words, if we'd have gotten rid of Gloria, they'd have gotten rid of Gloria. There were good alternatives. Look, the fact of the matter is, is I've met Duterte maybe five times. He's a mean, nasty son of a bitch, okay? He does not like Americans. In fact, I still remember the second time I met him, a guy from the U.S. Embassy leaned up against me. He goes, Mark, I know you like to talk. This guy doesn't like Americans. I walk up. I'm in the receiving line. I say hello to him. We're talking. I mean, we're down in, we're down in General Santa, I mean, Davao. And he says, where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm from Virginia, sir. He goes, oh. And he moved. I bought his, oh, nice to meet you. And so... Somebody said, well, he went to me from Virginia. He said, well, he hates Americans. And he goes, yeah, but you're from America. I go, no, nah, I'm a Virginian in my family. <laughs> you know, so I think the guy <laughs> had no idea, to be honest with you. But we, we, knew he, we, knew, we knew he was that. So I said, I'm from Virginia. But, he's, but he is, he, he's a nasty bastard. But, and, and my wife's family's not thrilled with him. But they'll tell you, crime was so out of control in the Philippines, he was kind of their Trump. And he saw himself as that. You know, he was a guy who answered and he won. His, his, his victories are all legitimate. And right now, Bong Bong's running. He's got 46, 47 percent of the vote. It's all poor people. Lenny, the, the vice president, she's kind of a Corey Aquino, too. She's not very competent. Uh, she has lots of colorful, um, colorful events. Um, her supporters are young, nice people, but quite frankly, not very good on the upside in a lot of ways um, in terms of campaigning. And they were just all excited that she moved up after a, a month of spending a lot of money. She's now at 24, 25% of the vote. And so in other words, she's 20 points behind. And her problem is one of the other people in there, Manny Pacquiao, the boxer, if Manny drops out, I don't think Manny's vote goes to her. I think it splits evenly. In other words, so it'll be a, it'll be a wash. So I think we're going to be facing a bong bong in case something happens. And my advice to the U.S. government would go in there very quickly, very speedily, kiss bong bong's ass, have bong bong Marcos over to the U.S. He doesn't get a state dinner, but he gets Camp David. You know what I'm saying? I don't mm -hmm. know. You know, Biden's probably not even up to that now. But I mean, have him have him have him stay there, have him do his thing, have him be our friend. OK. We've got to stop alienating every single leader because we hate them. I'm fine with alienating Or because Putin. they're not woke enough and because they don't, you know, have a transgender parade in their capital. Can I tell you something? In the Philippines, we made a real mistake. We, we made gay rights and transgenders an issue in the Philippines. This is a devoutly Catholic country. Um, and if it's not Catholic, it's Islamic. And it they're polite. They're, they're like, you know, and, and, and they have... It's not a country where gays are, are, are persecuted. I mean, it'd be hard to find that. There are problems, of course. But you started to notice it became a major feature of U.S. policy there. And that doesn't go over well with a lot right. of the population because it is a sense of domestic interference. Now, people say there's a lot of things you can do. I say, yeah, we stand up for rights, but I'm not sure if we push an agenda 
in a country like that. So, I mean, Indonesia is somewhat the same way. It's just for some reason people hear Islamic country and they understand not to do it. But if they hear Catholic country, they think that you can go ahead because they tend to meet the nutbag Catholics of my faith. You know, <laughs> well, they do it. Uh, Korea is 25 percent Christian. But, uh, you know, whether it's the Christian part of, of South Korea, of course, or the rest, the conservative culture, very patriarchal uh, it's, it's, and the nut, uh, the loser who Trump had out. I forget his name, Harry something retired general yes. admiral. Yeah. He draped yeah, the they, so he had a, a Black Lives Matter banner out during the Trump administration on that embassy and a gay pride flag. And listen, I'm a gay man. Uh, that's just it's just stupid, insulting. It's actual. I can't believe it. We're sort of coming to the point where the accusations the left made in the 60s through the 80s about cultural imperialism finally is ringing true. It's what the Biden administration and what the Dems and a fair amount of Republicans up on the Hill, this preaching of values where it doesn't actually intersect with our own national interest or is detrimental to that national interest. Doesn't mean we need to look the other, other way if they're doing things that are truly, you know, ghastly. But this, this, I, I, you know. The thing is, is that, look, the, the thing is, is that I was like Hillary Clinton the other day said we should boycott the G20. And I was going like, what a stupid idea. You know what that idea is based on? That idea is based on if you don't do what I say, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Okay? That's the idea. Of it. And it's a belief that U.S. foreign policy in the United States, that basically there's this ATM machine over in the corner of U.S. foreign policy and U.S. business, and they can come and get it all. I'm telling you right now, I, it's just like in Russia with the, with the sanctions. Look, if the North Koreans can get around the sanctions, let me explain to you really quickly. I was talking to some guys last night who, I mean, I don't hang out with journalists. I hang out with business guys. And a guy told me, do you know how, long, how porous and long the border is between, you know, the, Russia and China? And he said, there are reports of basically Russians driving over, okay, they buy gold in Russia, which you can buy gold in rubles in Russia. I mean, they... They buy gold in Russia. They get like 20 of their thugs with machine guns who drive down, cross over the river, still keeping their machine guns, by the way, cross over, <laughs> go into banks in Xinjiang and up on the border and places like that, sell the gold for guess what? U.S. dollars. Uh -huh. Okay, there's more U.S. There's more $100 bills in circulation outside of the U.S. than there are inside the U.S. They get their U.S. dollars. You know what they're getting now? They're now getting Hong Kong dollars and they're now getting any other currency. So, yeah, they're taking a hit on the exchange rate. But we forget that these people can launder money pretty effectively. And, and my point being is here is that we have to start acting with as understanding that we're not the only candy store in town anymore. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. A lot of options with a lot of people. Look, right now with Ukraine, I am actually... I do not want boots on the grounds. I know I'm in a different position than you a little bit on Ukraine. I am much more, I think we're actually closer than we think actually though. I'm, I am, I, I want, I want Putin out of Ukraine and I'm fully willing to have the Ukrainians blow up as many Russians as possible. And, you know, to me, it's, I always say, I want to see Charlie Wilson's war too. You know what I'm saying? Just with better weapons. But I'm also one of these ones that didn't see a need for the MIGs to go over because the MIGs, I do agree. I thought the MIGs were, a, first of all, I don't think they mean as much as people say they mean. 
Right. And I think also, I think the Russians would view them differently. And the problem that you have is, is if two Ukrainians get in those MiGs and decide to fly over to Russia, you know what I'm saying? And get shot down. It's just too provocative. It's way too provocative. And, and you mentioned fact- Charlie Wilson's war. In that war, we were careful, at least at first, to keep it truly covert and deniable. We supplied right. AK-47s that we bought from the Chinese specifically because they could theoretically at least have been uh, you know, uh, picked up on the battlefield by the Afghan resistance from Soviet, you know, if the Soviets had lost them in battle. Uh, it changed when we provided with stingers because only one country made those at the time. But, you know, the president of Pakistan, the president of the United States could still plausibly look uh, the Soviet leader, eventually Gorbachev, in the face and lie and say, we're not supplying these arms. And that gives a face-saving way that prevented escalation into war and potential nuclear war that we don't have now. So, okay, it's a different world, it's a different situation. But yeah, I think it's, it's, I think you're absolutely right in that. We have an incentive for the Ukrainians to raise the price of what Russia has done to ideally win and push them back. At some point, if that's untenable, then it would be nice just to save as many lives as possible by cutting a deal. Um, but, you know, as per smuggling, first of all, in Russia, smuggling, beautiful. We would have never had a President Kennedy if it weren't for smuggling. So let's uh, <laughs> let's raise a toast to smugglers. Second of all, Russia, the, the central banker, the head of their central bank is a woman who is uh, head and shoulders, the smartest central banker out of any. Now, that's not necessarily much, but a very, very smart uh, woman who has already brought the ruble back to where it was. Who knows what happens? And they still have a managed stock market where you can't uh, foreigners can't sell. But um, yeah, the economic, the sanctions, as is so often the case, going back to when we were sanctioning the Iraqis before Kuwait, after Kuwait, before 03, after 03, um, the sanctions just don't seem to work. I think what sanctions do is they raise the cost on progress. In other words, I think if you're looking to function, you're doing okay. I've always seen sanctions as raising the cost on progress. And what I mean by that is it's just hard for the businesses to keep investing, keep going. They can keep going, but what happens is they fall behind. But that takes a long time to happen. And I also I also think that there's a price to be paid that a lot of people aren't really ready for either. That said, I do think I do think the one issue is is like my point getting back to this is like there has to be a real understanding on the part of the American people that you know and our foreign policy is having that basically just because we say it doesn't mean it happens anymore and that's always my yeah. biggest issue you know the problem is enough people a lot of people just haven't had their ass kicked enough times you know what I'm saying look <laughs> I've, had, I've had my ass kicked by the Chinese in Hong Kong and we just keep getting back up that's the whole thing but have we ever really won anything in Hong Kong we won time for a while for a long time yeah. until they basically decided to send in the jack boots and use that will pay dividends in the future I think the the final store the final I, line the final chapter in Hong Kong has not been written I, I, can I tell you something? I think you're exactly right. And I think the final line anywhere. But I think part of that is, is that there was a realization by the older activists, the younger activists now realize and unfortunately a little bit late, but, you know, realize that there is a price always to pay. And I think that's the problem with their foreign policy establishment. And no offense to our great friends in Washington, D.C. But, you know, I, I still I don't really, I sit quietly. I know people find that shocking when I'm in like discussions. I don't know that, but I am shocked at the number of people who just come up with just groundbreaking statements about like defending Taiwan or doing this or fighters to Ukraine without the understanding that somebody, you know, it's like when Afghanistan fell, 
you know, the fact of the matter is I wasn't surprised it fell. I did not think the Afghanis would last. Now, I was surprised it fell so quickly. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? But it didn't surprise me a bit. Um, just knowing the character of the country, the character of the leaders didn't surprise me a bit. And so my point is here is that we have to understand that in the world today, let's be blunt, right now in the world today, India is not against us, but you know, Biden spoke with Modi and Modi, I think probably made it pretty clear, like, look, we're not siding with the Russians here, but we're also not siding with you. It's like when I was in Vietnam one time and we were down there with a a, a lot of, there's no secret to anybody down there. I was down there with Paul Wolfowitz and you know, there was a group that went down there and there's a bunch of us. And the leader of Vietnam, the the top guy we met with, basically they were talking about the U.S. and all that stuff. And he said, look, hey, we're with you. But there's 1.3 billion, 1.4 billion people (laughs) up there. And we're not going to piss them off, you know, just so you guys get to score some points. And it's, it's one of these things. And I have the same thing with the Filipinos. Like the Filipinos are the same way. They're like, hey, look, you know, we're with you guys. Which is, so we have, as a country, we actually have to do something that basically is that we have to recognize our weaknesses. You know, we haven't done a SWAT in a while. And that means that what we need to do is we need to get out there and we need to work with people. OK, and we need to work with people in a manner that understands that other people have things to offer. Look, China has a lot to offer any nation in Asia. It's called trade, a big market. So how are you going to get rid of that? Indonesia, Philippines, Malaysia, they're always going to just spend more with China, just like Canada is always going to spend more with us. They're close. It's efficient. It works. And so what we have to do is recognize that and find out how we can do things. You know, for example, I found out the other day and I was shocked. I found out the other day that there are more Chinese students in the U.S. on non-STEM scholarships than Filipino and Indonesian students. That is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. We have to change the tax incentive for that. You know, we have to. That's ridiculous. People go, well, there's not as many qualified. Are you kidding me? The Philippines, you know, so we've got, seriously, I mean, it's just these students, we need to incentivize that. And I'm actually going to talk to somebody about it when I go to D.C. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to get somebody to say, hey, look, let's let's in, in foreign scholarships, overseas scholarships. Let's give extra credit for the countries. In other words, if you do a deduction of 100 percent for a Chinese student, let's do a deduction of 120 percent for an Indonesian and Filipino. Believe me, the accountants will take care of it after that. Yeah, no, it's a shocking idea that our tax and, and, uh, you know, exchange policy ought to match a foreign policy goal that most Americans agree with. That is exactly. And unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this episode. Anything else, Mark? I'm good. You guys have a good night. Take care of yourselves. And I hope you get some I hope you get some decent weather. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little cold springtime here, but it's coming soon. All right. Join us again for another episode of Simon White. And if you like us, please subscribe. Leave a positive comment on Apple and we'll see you again soon.